And why we're doing this is because many organizations out there focus on intervention and intervention is important. Helping people after the crime has occurred is critical. And the bridge, we've always focused on prevention work. However, in the last few years, we realized that we have to be more intentional about how we do it. You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Nonprofits have many of the same challenges as other employers, but also some different ones. Every month, I'll be providing a nonprofit spotlight on a different nonprofit to discuss their mission, goals, and challenges. Today, my guest is Olivia Rivers. Olivia is the deputy director of the nonprofit, The Bridge Over Troubled Waters, whose vision is to be a visible force and leader in the community as an advocate against the occurrence and efforts of domestic violence and sexual assault. I'm so pleased to have Olivia join me this month to spotlight a nonprofit working on such an important mission for the community. We had a thoughtful discussion, so I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode of Nonprofit Spotlight, The Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Welcome to the Legal Skinny Podcast, Olivia. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Trisha. I'm very excited. So let's talk about the Bridge Over Troubled Waters. You know, what is the mission? How did you get involved with this nonprofit? So after graduate school, I moved to Houston from Missouri, so about 2011, so it was actually nine years now, and I was given the opportunity to work for this amazing organization. My entire career, I've been involved in the criminal justice system, and I had a passion for justice. I originally came to the bridge hoping it was going to be temporary. Uh, My background is actually in forensic anthropology, so I was waiting for a job opening at the Harris County Forensic Institute, but I ended up falling in love with the people and the mission. And the Bridges mission is basically simple. It's to offer support, provide safety, and to end domestic and sexual violence. And we do that in a variety of ways. We offer a lot of services. We're most known for our 100-bed shelter, 
and we provide housing for adults and children who are fleeing domestic violence, human trafficking, or any kind of sexual assault. And by the end of this year, we will have housed over 300 adults and children in their own apartments who have experienced some sort of violence. So we're really proud of being able to provide supportive housing for our clients. On an, any given year, we provide over 37,000 days of shelter um, in our community. We also have a 24-hour hotline, and that's the main way that people enter our program or receive services. And we take about 25,000 calls a year. We have some incredible advocates who are on our hotline around the clock, 365 days, really providing crisis intervention and helping people determine if they need to come into shelter or if they just need other resources. And then of course we have therapy, support groups, parenting classes, and so many other types of life skills for our youth and our adults. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to visit um, your shelter and, and, and it is really incredible the work that you guys are doing there. Um, so, you know, thank you for that and all the work that you do and, and how incredible that, you know, you went there, you thought it was, you know, a stop and then, and now, now you're, you're completely yes. enthralled. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> well, since we're, since you just mentioned the hotline, do you have the hotline number on you? Might, you might as well um, go ahead I and say do. that. Yeah. So our, our hotline is 713-473-2801. Excellent. And, and who should use that hotline? anybody. So if you are yourself a survivor of violence, or if you're a family member who's concerned, we take calls from, you know, moms and dads, siblings who are just saying, I'm concerned about my loved one. Um, even people um, like our police officers, our hospitals, they call us through our hotline whenever they come across a survivor or someone that they think may be, need an, be in need of our help and support. So really the hotline is for everyone. Excellent. Okay, great. All right. So now it's my understanding that you have some new developments. So can you share? Yes. So just two weeks ago, October 1st, we had our groundbreaking ceremony for the Bridge for Kids. And this is going to be a state-of-the-art facility for children and youth whose parents are also receiving our services. So both of our child care centers, we have two separate ones right now, one at our housing location and one here at our main campus. And we are excited because both of those child care centers will be under one roof, which is going to be so helpful. We will be able to serve over 200 children a day, which is awesome. And also in that building is gonna be our play therapist, our child advocates, our youth specialists, and then also our teens. They're not allowed to utilize our child care center right now just because uh, childcare by the state is for 12 and under. So all of our kids and youth that come into our program that are over 13 years, they really have nowhere to hang out on our current property. And so part of this new facility is gonna have a safe place for them to hang out. So they're not out in the streets or having to go to the park they'll have a gym, they'll have a sensory room, just a really chill place for them to, to vibe and be able to grow themselves. And why we're doing this is because many organizations out there focus on intervention and intervention is important. Helping people after the crime has occurred is critical. And the bridge, we've always focused on prevention work. However, in the last few years, we realized that we have to be more intentional about how we do it. So we have an incredible prevention and education team that goes to middle schools and high schools talking about healthy relationships. We spend a lot of time there. And what we found over the last few years is that most middle school and high school youth have already been victims of violence of some sort, not just witnessing it, but themselves. They're already in abusive relationships. So that was very concerning for our organization. So we believe that in order to end the cycle of violence, we have to really invest in our children 
um, break that cycle before they ever have to experience um, abuse themselves. So the Bridge for Kids is our response to that and truly focusing on ending domestic violence in our community. I love that. I, I think it's interesting that you're so um, focused on the community that you're serving that you have the ability to sort of shift and focus if there's a way that you can kind of, you know, um, help prevent the problem. And so um, being able to make that kind of shift and sort of address that in such a big way. I mean, this is this is huge for you guys. You're really excited, right? Yes. I am so excited. I, I don't have children, but you know, the best part about working here is when I'm stressed out, I walk down the hall and go to our child care center and just hold a baby and play with the toddlers because there's, you know, the adults are the ones that make that decision and we can't change that sometimes. But when you kind of look at the, in the eyes of a child and you see that there's hope and that there's still purpose, it just really fires you up about being in this movement because you can see that the future can change and it's going to start with those little ones. I love it. I love it. Okay. So it's October and you're, you know, my nonprofit yeah. spotlight for October, but October is mm -hmm. a special month for you guys. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about that? Of course. So October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it actually evolved from the Day of Unity back in 1981. And that was basically a day that nonprofits that focused on domestic violence would all try to get their advocates fired up about doing this work. And so it was a way to connect advocates across the nation who had committed their lives to working in the domestic violence movement. It eventually became a week, like most things do. And then in 1987, we were able to honor our first domestic Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And the color that is used to symbolize awareness of domestic violence is purple. And so the women's suffrage movement uh, used the colors white, gold, and purple as they were trying to bring hope to women who were, you know, fighting for their rights. And so those colors were actually adopted from the women's suffrage movement. We chose purple and it's the color of strength and survival and loyalty. And that's really important for us because when you are working with survivors, they've been through some of the most horrendous things that you could ever think of. And to still see them reach out um, and have hope is, is just so beautiful. And so that color is very meaningful. And so you'll see a lot of purple, um, lavender variations of the color uh, as we observe Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And for the bridge, we start planning months in advance because our goal, we know about domestic violence, but there's still so many people in the community that do not know that we even exist. And we've been around for 40 years in Pasadena. So we actually work with our law enforcement agency. We work with hospitals, our community partners, and we plan events. And actually, we're going to be having a... Um, a fun event in a couple of weeks um, over at San Jack College in Pasadena, we're going to be having a drive-in movie theater. And really, it's not even, we're not even going to be showing a movie about domestic violence. We're going to be showing Jumanji. And it's just a way to bring the community together and have families together. And while we're there, we're going to, of course, pass out just different information because we don't want people to be afraid to talk about domestic violence anymore. We don't want it to be something that's, you know, swept under the rug or it's just a family issue. It's a community issue, right? And so we we definitely want to just keep our community engaged and keep talking about it so that people know that we're here for them. A drive-in movie theater. Well, that might be the best yes. thing coming out, coming out of COVID. <laughs> yes, yes. Everyone in their cars, we're implementing all the safety measures, but it's just a way for us to connect with our community. Yeah, I like that. That's that's great. Yeah, so a lot of it's about messaging too to make sure that people do understand, you know, this is still a real issue out there for a lot of people every day. I know that, you know, with schools being closed too, that that was a concern. Um, certainly, 
Um, you know, that's been talked about quite a bit as to one of the reasons that they wanted to push for schools to reopen here in Texas was to give some sort of safe place. Cause right. For some kids, that is the safe place for them mm-hmm. to get to go to school. And now you have this childcare center, um, and this teenage, I, I don't know what you're calling it, uh, area for them to, um, to hang out, I guess, whatever the cool kids are saying these days, I'm, I'm not that yeah, cool. We're going to let them pick their name, whatever they want to call their teen corner or whatever. I feel like if we name it for them, it's going to be cheesy. So we're definitely going to give them naming rights. True, true. Okay. We won't name it here, Olivia. Let's not do that. Okay, cool, cool. Well, um, the um, you touched on something certainly that obviously this is serious, you know, and, and getting your messaging out, um, you know, in a way that, you know, touches the community, that connects with the community, but also talking you know, noting how serious the issues are that, you know, the people that are in your shelter and other people that you serve in the community, um, what they're going through and those issues. I mean, that's, um, you talk about how you go down and, you know, you see, um, you visit a baby, right, you know, um, in the shelter, and that makes you feel a little, little better connected to the mission. But, you know, um, I help a lot of employers and I, and, and I, know a lot of nonprofits and, you know, sometimes when these missions are difficult and there's, you know, days where it's hard, right, to go through that, how do you keep the culture going with the employees that you have? Because you still are a business, even though you're a nonprofit business. So you still have employees, still trying to work with through the culture issues that, you know, regular businesses are going through. So, you know, how do you keep them connected to the mission and, and has that changed through COVID? That's a great question. So a couple of years ago, we actually formed a morale committee. Um, and it sounds as cheesy as it is as cheesy <laughs> as it sounds. And their primary responsibility is to just to keep staff engaged and keep the spirit of hope alive. Because like you said, we work with traumatized survivors every day. And when you hear stories day after day, you are staff experienced vicarious trauma and burnout, right? And so Um, We have made it our priority to have our morale committee. They hold different events for us, fundraisers and fun days throughout the year, um, not only to show them that they're appreciated, but that their contributions matter. And so the morale committee is always busy coming up with ideas, whether it's a fun day. Sometimes they'll just make us ice cream sundaes. They'll make an announcement and say there's ice cream sundaes in the break room, you know, and it's those simple things that really can bring joy and just give you some levity and give you a break from the hard work that you're doing every day. And for us, we are not a a small nonprofit anymore. We have over 110 employees, both in Pasadena and Baytown. So connecting them through team meetings and trainings is critical. And of course, before COVID, that was easier. So now we've had to be creative in how we connect with one another through virtual think tanks and talk back circles, because we want to make sure that they're engaged. Um, And of course, earlier on, we were allowing some people to work from home, but because of the population we serve, that has been difficult. We can't, everyone can't work from home because we have a hundred people here at our facility that need our support. So really just um, having one-on-one conversations with our staff and asking them, what is it that you need? How can we make your job a little bit easier and make sure that you and your family still feel supported? So even though we're a large agency, we definitely practice as much as we can as a family business. So that's been really great and helpful during this time. I like that. This morale uh, committee. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> yes. We actually had a competition this week. We were, people were running down the halls, like bidding on stuff and it, it got crazy, but it was fun. You know, we were just having fun and being competitive. There's a competitive bunch. I don't know. Nonprofit people. Yes, they're sweet and calm, but when you throw in a competition, it like gets intense. So we had a good it's, week. 
It's like it's like hidden beneath everything. It is. It's like bubbling <laughs> underneath. You're finally letting us compete about something. This sounds awesome. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Um, I love the idea of the think tanks. And um, what did you say? The talkback circles? Is that what you said? Right. We had some talkback circles. Um, of course, being in Pasadena, we have a large population of Black and Hispanic um, survivors. And with everything that's been going on in the news, and our staff had a difficult time sometimes navigating that or even having those conversations with our survivors. And so we just provided talkback circles where people could share how they were feeling, um, how it is hard to do this work, and also go home and hear all of these crazy things on the news, right? So it's like you never get a break from it. You're at home, you hear this. You're at work, you hear this. And so we just wanted to provide this really calm space. So we have a large training room. We brought in some yoga mats and we we brought in some meditation pillows for people to just sit on the floor. We had aromatherapy going, low lighting. And we just said, like, here's a safe place. You don't have to talk about work, but talk about how you're feeling with, with COVID, with everything that's going on in the world. Let's just share. No judgment. It's a safe space. Um, we had feeling wheels. And so I don't know if you've seen those. They're just these large circles. And they have your basic feelings in the middle, like anger, sadness, all of those. But then it expands it into more in-depth, bigger words. And so everyone had feeling wheels and they could just share how they were feeling and how, you know, working in this field and then living in our society right now is hard. And it was just a really cool, safe, calm space that we were able to offer our staff over the last few weeks. So that's been helpful for them. That's a cool, very creative uh, solution to connect with them and give them an opportunity and that space. I've had a lot of employers, you know, question, how do you create a, a space that's you know, safe for people to share because mm -hmm. it, it has been a little volatile in the news, right? Um, right. And stressful. People are scared to say anything about anything mm -hmm. because they're worried. Um, and one of my other guests, Jackie Bally, actually was on and she was talking about the cancel culture and, you know, just how, you know, mm -hmm. it's so scary out there that, you know, you make one wrong comment and it's taken this certain way mm -hmm. and, you know, it affects um, you know, and the bullying that goes along with um, all of that. And so um, that's a really mm -hmm. cool and creative idea. Um, the only time I think I maybe seen a, the feeling circle um, is, you know, I have five-year-old girl twins and and they, they tell you yeah. you're supposed to use that with kids on how they, yeah. <laughs> when they can't communicate. Can so. adults. Us adults need it too, because sometimes we cannot communicate well. So I recommend it for everyone. I like that. I like that. Okay. So let's talk about like, so, um, has COVID-19 been challenging? How have you guys made adjustments to still further the mission? Yes, COVID-19 early on was nervous. We, it was very nerving for us because again, we had a hundred women and children um, in the shelter. And how do you, you know, serve that community and be safe? And so what we did early on, we were one of the only organizations in Texas that did that. Um, we shut down, not like we didn't kick anybody out, but we literally shut our building down for anyone coming in, in or out for about 45 days. What that required is some committed staff who were willing to live on site for those 45 days away from their own families, away from their, their loved ones during this time. And they were amazing. Seven staff stepped up to the plate. We made sure we had a diversity of staff who could speak English, Spanish. We had uh, a finance person here who could make sure that the bills were still getting paid. We had a director here to kind of oversee things. We had someone from our kitchen staff who could still prepare three meals a day and two snacks for everyone living on our property. So we just 
we formed this perfect team. We called them the super seven. We still call them that today. And they were fantastic. Myself and our executive director often made food runs, dropped things off at the door. And we basically sealed the building down because we wanted to keep everyone as safe as possible. And, you know, if one person had caught it, you would have had, you know, your own mini pandemic right here in our building. So we made that tough decision to do that. It started off with like, I think we started off at 20 days and then it extended to 30 and 45 as we were getting orders from the, our local government officials. But it was the best decision we made. Up until this day, we have not had a single COVID case in our shelter for our class, except for one five-year-old little boy, but he did not get it until he started going back to school. So we feel that we made a really drastic decision early on, but it was what was needed to make sure that our children and our adults were safe while living here. Because the homeless population is very transient and vulnerable um, and bringing new people in could have caused issues, um, but we were already full anyway, so we didn't have space to accept any more people. But it allowed us to really reflect and, you know, build some new policies. We thought we had everything figured out, you know, we had never had a pandemic before, so it allowed us to really navigate and see what it is that we need to do to ensure the safety of everyone. So we had our Super 7, we quarantined, we opened back up, um, things were good. We had, you know, people coming in at different times of the day. We didn't invite all staff to come back at work on the same time, but we had skeleton crews and, you know, shift changes, things of that nature, so people could come in and do their job. And then, of course, you know, our volunteers, unfortunately, we had to have our volunteer community. They couldn't come in as often. And, you know, anyone that works for a nonprofit knows that you thrive on the, the love and the heart of your volunteers. So we, our volunteers are known to come in and cook, play music for the kids, read to them, you know, volunteer, like paint, painting our rooms, things of that nature. We really love our volunteers and the work that they do. So not having them be able to come into the buildings and have that connection with our clients was very hard. But we've been creative with that. We've had some day of caring virtual opportunities, ways to volunteer and contribute. And our volunteers will call us constantly like, can we come back yet? Can we come back? And so, um, which I love, you know, and they've stayed committed to the mission. Um, and then of course, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our financial contributions have decreased all of our fundraisers that we normally have had to do. We had to cancel those, of course. And so, you know, just still feeling that love from our community, giving what they could, you know, even if the amounts diminished was really great. The other thing with COVID was that, you know, virtual school we have on any given day, we have about 60 children living on site. So that's, you know, not some of them are infants and toddlers, but that was about 30 to 40 kids who we had to figure out how are they going to go to school virtually. So we turned offices and boardrooms into classrooms and we broke them up by grade. Um, the school district is great. We have a great partnership with our school district. They made sure that all of our kids had laptops, headphones, little Wi-Fi packets, and we set up different classrooms here on campus. And all of us, even myself included, we took turns moderating these classes and, and basically teaching <laughs> And I was teaching third grade math a couple of weeks ago, oh. which I don't know. I don't know who signed me up for that. But and so it's been incredible because all of our staff have taken turns like going into classrooms for just a few hours a day to help the kids with their homework. And man, God bless teachers because it, you know, I, I got I did not get into that profession for a reason, but it just made me really see that the true um, love of a community when everyone can come together, even within an agency, to make sure that our kids don't miss a beat. Even our kids that don't live in our property, we opened up to them because we know living in a home of domestic violence, a kid does not have the opportunity to just sit at a computer and stay caught up on their work. So even those who 
live off of our property, we invited those moms to bring their kids every day so that they could stay engaged, they could have meals, and they could continue doing the work that they needed to do. So COVID has definitely turned our worlds upside down, but it has also allowed us to be creative. And that's been so much fun to just see our agency come together and say, hey, let's figure it out. And, and getting to be a teacher for a couple of days has been really rewarding as well. Yeah, I think across the United States, everyone is now much more grateful and, and gratitude for teachers. Yes, so much more. Yeah, it's certainly interesting for them that they uh, have had to turn on a dime as well and become virtual teachers, which is what yes. they all signed up for. Um, yes. But And you, Olivia, congratulations on the um, um, teaching, um, what was it, third grade math? Third grade math. I'm. I think they taught me more because math has changed. I always thought math was going to stay the same, but apparently some things have changed, and I had no idea. So thank you, though. I'm excited to never, never do it again. It, it's not the same math that we had back in the day, for sure. No, not at all. I know. So I think that's been a shock to many parents too, going through that same thing. Um, so, um, it's so the Super Seven. Is that what you call them? That's what we call them, yes. Did they get t-shirts or hats or something? We did, and, and we gave them two weeks off. Once we reopened the building, we told them to, to go far, far away and never come back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we gave them two weeks of paid vacation off because they deserved it. Um, they, Like I said, they were sleeping here. They were eating here. They were FaceTiming their family, their kids. And so we just uh, really wanted to show our appreciation. They did get t-shirts as well. And we just <laughs> honor them. Everyone, everyone talks about them like they're stars. You know, we refer to them often. Even months later, we're like, you'll see them walking down the hall and you'll hear someone say, hey, Super 7. And it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. That, and, and congratulations to you on, um, you know, getting as far as you guys have gotten into this pandemic and having so um, been able to control and limit the exposure to all the, the already vulnerable um, group of people um, that you have in there, including all those children as well. So um, I'm sure that I know, you know, um, many many um, different nonprofits that, um, or even, you know, retirement facilities were just, you know, um, or, or uh, facilities that are, are housing handicapped individuals, you know, any type of vulnerable community, you're already concerned about trying to keep them safe. And now you have this like whole scary pandemic idea that, you know, you just don't want anything else to break their spirit and kind of, you know, have them go through yet another traumatic event. So um, I think that's really, really great. And, um, Congrats to the bridge on getting through this as far as they have so far. Thank you. It's definitely been, we feel so fortunate. And, you know, our community is great too. Pasadena Health Center, as well as Harris County, they all reached out to us all the time saying, hey, we will come um, and do some, some testing for you guys. So almost every two weeks, we had one organization or facility coming and testing our clients and our staff for free. And of course, you know, working the nonprofit, no one gets into this work for the money. And so it was nice to be able to offer our clients and our staff free testing whenever they needed it. So that was also helpful in helping us keep the the, the numbers down as far as cases. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So, okay. What advice would you give to another nonprofit just starting out or going through a difficult time right now? Because it is a difficult time, as you even mentioned yourself, for nonprofits. Um, any advice that you would give? 
I would just say, ask for help. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are so many nonprofits in the greater Houston area that are established. The bridge ourselves, we've been around for 40 years and our communities are thirsty for resources. We have a need. You know, if anyone has a great idea to start a nonprofit, it's probably because you've observed that there's a need out there. And so I would just say, reach out to your fellow nonprofits and ask for a meeting with the leadership team. Ask for a meeting with the board of directors and get your questions answered from people who've already experienced it. Um, we're not perfect. We've made mistakes. Debbie Mosley, our executive director, she's been with the agency for over 30 years. She's always open to talking to new executive directors and those who are interested in starting a nonprofit because we are a caring industry and we want other programs to be just as successful. And this, there's plenty of room at the table for all organizations and the support is there. I know we have um, a friend of ours who just started a nonprofit in the community. And sometimes we just get random donations from our community. And she's like, hey, I need a refrigerator. And we just happen to have a refrigerator in one of our sheds. And we just gave it to her. Like, no one's using it. It's been out there for months. So why not share what you have? You know, toilet paper, you know, toiletries, those things. Just we're a sharing group. And so if you, if you, want to start one, you can do it, but let someone walk you through it so you don't have to make the same mistakes that that um, that we've all made. It's just, it's nice to have people to follow in their footsteps. I love that. Such a, the caring community. So um, <laughs> yeah. Olivia, this was great information and I, I wish you continued success in your mission with the bridge over troubled waters, you Thank know, moving you. forward. Um, I'm excited. I volunteer there and I'm excited to get back. Yes. Uh, as well as um, many of my fellow volunteers, um, you know, it's it's great to get to interact with and your clients are are, are mm -hmm. wonderful and the children are, are, are great. And it's so interesting to um, get to give back and, and interact with them. And, and frankly, you know, um, it always feels like when you're volunteering there that um, you're getting the benefit because you get to be around all these wonderful people that are, um, yeah. you know, you know, really have such a positive spirit, actually, um, considering, you know, the things that they've gone through. So um, anyway, uh, thanks for joining me today on the Thank Legal you. Scale. <laughs> Would you like to do the rundown with me? Yes, I'd love to. Okay. Beach or mountains? Beach. Elvis or the Beatles? For my grandmother's sake, Elvis. <laughs> did she love did she love Elvis? She she was a fan and went to see his home and everything. And then I did it years later after she passed away. And I was able to take pictures at the same place as she took pictures. So huge Elvis fan. That's so cute. I love that. Okay. Most influential <laughs> book you've read. So many. Um, I'm gonna go with the greatest salesman. Okay, awesome. Dead or alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Maya Angelou, one of my favorite poets, so wise. Yeah, great poet, love, love her work. Okay, and finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on leading a nonprofit in today's world? I'm gonna take some words from one of my mentors. She always said, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> I love that. That'll stick with you for sure. <laughs> if someone wants to get in touch with you and connect with the bridge, what is the best way for them to do that? Yes, they can always reach out. Again, my name is Olivia Rivers. The best way to reach us because we always have someone answering is our 24-hour hotline. You can call day or night and they can definitely, you can leave a message with me. And that number again is 713-473-2801. Thanks again, Olivia.
Thank you so much, Trisha. We are so excited to eventually have you back as a volunteer. You guys are truly missed. And thank you to all that you do for us. It's very helpful and, and we can feel it. We, with you guys not being here, we miss you guys tremendously. Well, we're, we're all excited to get past <laughs> to that point for sure. Um, so I appreciate that, that very much. And I, I really appreciate you coming on here, um, sharing the knowledge, you know, as an established nonprofit, the stuff that you share today is interesting and will help other nonprofits and, and maybe even other businesses that are looking for ideas to kind of, um, you know, work through these difficult times. And so I really appreciate you being here, Olivia. Thank you again for having me. And that's The Legal Skinny on Nonprofit Spotlight, The Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also, check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer... Remember, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.